Um, but let, let's pray. Let's go before the Lord. We definitely, we need to pray. So God, we just come before you. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for, for how good you are. We thank you that we have a place like this to come to, that we can come to a place and have people that think similarly to us, that believe in the same God, and we can come to you and worship together. God, we thank you that you created, uh, Lord, just the, the family of God, that we can look to one another and, and call each other brother and sister. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for that today. And we ask that you would go before as we just come to your word. We ask that you would go before us, that you would teach us, that you would minister to our hearts, that you would encourage us. And that at the end of the day, that you would get all the glory. And so, God, we just come before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Sweet. Um, so for some of you today, uh, this is your, right, your first day within junior high ministry. Uh, for some of you, uh, eighth graders, this is your first day as eighth graders in junior high ministry, right? And it might be weird thinking about the, the first day um, in relation to the last day, but I want you guys to think about it. This is your first day, right? But think about your last day for a second. You don't know what that's going to be like. No one knows but the Lord. But what kind of, what do you hope to see within yourself grow? What, what do you hope to see coming to junior high ministry for those two years or for that year? Hopefully, it's to grow with the Lord. Hopefully, it's to get closer with him. And I can tell you uh, that I want nothing more than that. That I want to see you guys steadfast in your faith. That I want to see you immovable. And over the next two years, I really want to encourage you guys, or over the next year for, for the eighth graders, I want to encourage you guys, take advantage of this time. That throughout, you know, you guys might go to public school or homeschool during the week, and this church, this whole church deal is, you know, sometimes Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings. But this is a place where it's not just to have fun, though we will do that. It's not a place just to sing worship songs, though we will do that. It's a place to come and learn from him and to grow with him, and that you would know him more personally on an intimate level. And so um, today, we're going to be in the book of Colossians, okay? So you guys can turn to Colossians chapter 2, and does anyone know the uh, author of Colossians? Anyone know? It's a guy by the name of Paul. You got a pretty good, uh, you know, if you guess Paul, he wrote a lot of the New Testament, so that would typically be a good guess. Um, but Paul's writing to the Colossians, and um, the Colossians, they are a, they're a people group. They're, they're, it's a city of Colossae. And just like here, we, we live in California, right? And so we, we're known as what? If, we, if you live in California, what, what are you known as? You're a Californian. And so these people, they live in Colossae. It's an actual place that when we come to God's word, though it's, it's inspired and everything's from God, that this is something that's practical, that this was a letter that Paul was writing to these people. These Colossians, right? Just like Californians, they were just were from Colossians, so that's why this book is called the Colossians, uh, the, the epistle to the Colossians. And Paul here, he's writing to them, and he has this relationship with them uh, where, where he's, he's poured into their life in one way or another, whether that's he's poured into someone else's life, and they've gone and went and poured into their life. What do I mean when I say poured in? I mean that he's discipled them and, and trained them up in, in God's word, that he's been able to show them what's right and what's wrong through God's word. And so today we're going to see, we're going to look at a few, a few different points, but the first one we're going to look at is the soul struggle. And we'll see this within the first five verses. And so what it's going to look like today is we're just going to read through Colossians chapter 2, verses 1, all the way down to 10. And we're just going to go through it, and, and, and I'm going to point out some different things and, and, and go through and add some different verses, and uh, we're going to let the Lord 
teach us today, but I wanna share with you guys today through this text what my desire is for you. You see, Paul had a desire for the Colossians, and it was that, we're gonna see in a second, it was honestly plain and simple that they would know God in a deeper way. And I want nothing more for you guys than to know him in that way. And so let's, let's look at it. Look at verses one through five with me and just, just read along uh, as in your heads as, as we go through it. It says, in verse one, it says, for I want you to know, this is Paul writing, he says, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse four says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So that's, that's a big chunk there, but Paul is, is writing to them and he, and he has a desire for them. Just as I was saying before that his desire is that they would know the Lord in a deeper way, but more specifically, we see that in verse one, look at the words, it says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. You can come to them and be like, what, what kind of conflict, what kind of conflict is going on here? Well, the word, when it says great conflict, it means intense struggle or a fight or an opposition. You see, as the, as the title of this point is the soul struggle that, that Paul is in it with them. That the struggle, this conflict that he has is for them. That Paul has such a strong desire that they would know the Lord in a more powerful way, that they would just follow Jesus. That this was his, his very desire and it was intense and it was a struggle. And why? What was he struggling against? Well, Paul's desire, right, we know it's pouring in, but there's other powers within this world that had different uh, ideas, that they didn't want the Colossians to come towards Christ, that there's opposing forces. We know this as Satan, right, and, and all of the different demons and the, and the powers and the principalities, as the Bible calls it, that spiritual warfare is a very real thing. And Paul was in this battle, in a sense, with their very souls, that, that Paul was wanting them to know Jesus, but the world was coming against them and wanted to persuade them against Jesus. And so he says that there is this great conflict. Have you, have you guys ever uh, played tug of war before? Yeah, think about how it works, right? There's, there's this party on this side and they're pulling with all their force. And then there's, party on, there's a party on this side and they're pulling with all their force, right? And there's this struggle. There's this war in a sense. There's this fight that there's opposition and one will win. And for you guys and your very soul that there is a battle that is taking place right here, right now. That my desire for you guys is I want you to know Jesus. I want you to grow with him as we'll look at today. But there's people in this world and there's powers in this world that want the exact opposite. And Satan will do anything and everything to get you away from God. And there's people that they don't believe in God and, and they will try to persuade you against him. And this is the reality. And there is this great conflict. And so for Paul, uh, he had this desire though that we're talking about, right? But what, what specifically? Well, look at verse two. Look at verse two in your, in your Bibles. It says that their hearts may be encouraged. That Paul, number one, that Paul had a desire that their hearts would be encouraged. 
Uh, you can go to the next slide, and, and there's three different points. And, and the first one is that they would have encouraged hearts. And what, what does this mean, encouraged? We hear this word a lot, but what does it mean? Well, break the word down a little bit. It means uh, that, that to be filled with courage, that though there is a very real struggle, that you would have the courage to keep going. But he says hearts. That's talking about emotions, right? The, when it talks about heart, it's not talking about the physical heart, but this is the place of emotions. And, and when you care for someone, you care about their emotional state, right? It's kind of like how a, a coach might, might come alongside a bummed out player who's maybe just missed the, the last shot in the game and, and they lost because, of, because he missed the shot. That the person might feel bummed down in that moment, but the coach, I'm sure, would, would come alongside and say, it's all right because we have more games ahead of us, because there's more to do. And, and the coach would come alongside and encourage, right? That's what Paul wants to do here, that he wants to come alongside these people in, Col- in Colossae and encourage them, that he cares about their feelings. Number two, that he so desires that they would be unified in love. Those of you that aren't familiar with taking notes, just write down some of these points. Just write down under verse, under verse two, you can just write encouraged hearts and then unified in love, that, that he desired that they would be knit together in love. Now, this word knit, think about it. What, what is knitting? Does anyone know? What does it mean when, when someone knits something? Yeah. Yeah, totally, right? Trying to make clothes or a garment or a baby blanket or, or something like that. You think about the picture of knitting or sewing. That She said it exactly right. There's two pieces that are all over the place, but then they come together and they form something great. They form something that's usable, And that's what Paul's desire for them would would be, that they would come together as one, that though they are separate, that they come together as one in love and they would be this something great, that they would be something that would be usable. And thirdly, his, and I think most importantly, his desire is that they would attain to all the riches and the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. And you might be like, wow, that's a mouthful. And it is, but what is he talking about? He honestly just wants them to have a confident understanding in God. That when it says that he desires that they would attain to all the riches of the knowledge, that they would know God and they would be confident of it, that they would be certain, that they would really realize how valuable what they have in Christ is. Because sometimes in the world, things can get foggy. That where we place our value in can change from time to time that we might put our value in something that's not very valuable. But God is the most valuable thing that we can put our time in. Uh, There was a show back in the day, but it was called the Antique Roadshow. And people would find random stuff in their house and all these old different antiques. Maybe their grandma died, so they got this house and they go through and they're like, oh, I wonder if this is worth anything. And so they bring it to this show. And then they go and they, and, they see, and they check it out. And what looks like a piece of junk can sometimes be worth millions of dollars. And they went and they found the value. And for Paul, Paul wants them to know and find out the value of their relationship with God. That they would truly know him. And this word attain or, or to understand, that he wanted them to comprehend it. To bring understanding and clarity that they would be able to reach and grasp really who God is and what he desires for them and what he's already given. Uh, who's, uh, who's a little short in here? You're just like, I'm kind of shorter than the rest. Don't, hey, nice and proud. 
nice and proud. It's not a bad thing because that means you're really comfortable on airplanes, so it's not a bad thing. But have you ever tried to, uh, to, try to get like some cookies on the top shelf and, and you're trying to, and it's the same word here, it's the tr- you're trying to attain, you're trying to get the cookies, but you're a little short, so you need some help, right? And it's not a bad thing, it's nothing to be ashamed of. But Paul, in the same sense that someone would come along you and maybe help you get the cookies down from the top shelf, that Paul's desire is that he'd be able to take those cookies and put them on the bottom shelf. That they would be able to understand that though this, this, this seems so high, that they would, it would be brought down to a place of understanding. He wanted them to get it. He wanted the light to turn on. But he calls it a mystery. And, he's, and a mystery, it's just something secret It's something that's not uh, widely known. And he talks about this. He says the knowledge of the mystery of God. And all all through the Bible, knowing God is is talked about as a mystery. But does that mean God doesn't want us to know it? No. It just means that it only can be known in a certain way. It can't be known by mere uh, intellectualism or or understanding in that way. What the Bible says is that it's spiritually discerned. It's spiritually discerned that you have to, it's a spiritual thing. And so you have to be engaged in the spirit realm to be able to know. You have to realize that it's not just all about the physical. But this was Paul's desire for the Colossians. Very clear, very straight, that he wanted them to be encouraged. He wanted them to have unity. He wanted them to know God. And today, I just want to share with you my heart for you is this, is that I want you to be encouraged when you come here to church. I want you to be encouraged and, and, and be filled with courage to be able to go back out into your everyday lives. I, I want you guys to have unity among each other and love. That, that just the way a grandma would knit together a, a scarf or a, bla- uh, or a baby blanket and it would be one thing, though they were separate, that you guys would come together in love. And ultimately that you guys would know God. That, that for me, I'd be able to take the cookies off the top shelf and put them on the bottom so that you would be able to know how great and how valuable he really is and, and the knowledge of him. And in verse four, look at verse four with me. He says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Now we get the purpose. He, he's writing to them because there are things, there are persuasive things in the world, that there is that tug of war, Right? but he doesn't want them to be deceived. Uh, to be deceived, it, means to, it literally means to, to rob someone of something, to mislead them and lead them astray, to convince you by lies. It's, it's a deceit. You guys can understand it. But how does he say this will happen? How will, how will you get robbed? He says it's by persuasive words, that it'll be enticing, it'll be convincing. And honestly, some of the, the arguments and the different things in the world that, that draws, Satan's not going to use something that's not very appetizing in a sense. He's not going to use something that's not pleasing to us or something that we wouldn't want, right? You don't put a rat trap out with, if you put a rat, rat trap out, you don't put something they don't want. You put something they want so that when they come, that the trap can go off, right? You put the piece of cheese or you, you when you're trying to deceive someone, which hopefully none of us ever do, but when people try to do this, they use something that looks enticing, like money oftentimes. Maybe your parents get emails or maybe you've seen for yourself like on the web, those different like pop-ups and they say like, click here for a million dollars. And you're like, oh, million dollars, that sounds nice. Sounds nice, I could use a million dollars. So you click to it 
And then it's like, okay, we need your parents' social security and their, uh, their credit card number, and then you'll, you'll, you'll get the, mari- the million dollars. And you're like, oh, okay. So it's like, right? No, they're trying to deceive you. They want your money, but they're just showing you something that you would actually want. But for us, that we wouldn't be deceived, that we would know the Bible and know God in such a way that, that when we see other things come, that we'd say, nope, like this is, this, I know what God's word says, and so I'm not going that way. Ephesians chapter four, verse 14, you guys can look at the screen, you can note down the reference and put a little note there, but it says this, it says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro from, and from, to and from, to and fro, sorry, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Now for, now for us, that we shouldn't be wavered when, when other arguments or other things come, that we should know the truth and stick with it. And the example, I mean, some examples that, that could be, maybe it's atheism or uh, evolution or just some other religion that, that might seem enticing at some point. You might think, oh, I'll, I'll, that'll never seem enticing. You'd be surprised. When people put things in a certain light, it can be. But, but Paul's desire is that they wouldn't be deceived. And same, same with mine today. But he goes on and he says, he says that something that would give him joy, and it would be that they would be steadfast in faith. If you look at verse five, he talks about how he would rejoice at the fact that, that the people who he's pouring into would be steadfast. Steadfast means immovable or solid. You guys ever seen the, the British soldiers? You guys ever seen those, you know, with the crazy tall hat and the red suit, right? Those guys are immovable in a sense, that people could come up and make fun of them and say things to them and do all these different things, yet what do they do? Do they, do they engage back? No, right? They just, they just stand there. And they stand there exactly what they were told to do. And they are immovable in a sense. Ladies, got to stop talking, all right? Thank you. And this is how we're to be, that no matter what comes against our faith, no matter how good it sounds, that you guys would be determined to be steadfast in the faith. But how does, how does this happen? How, how does one become steadfast? Well, we'll look at that in this next section. So look at verses six through eight with me, and we'll look at how we are to walk in him. We saw Paul's desire, these first five verses, and he wanted them so badly to be steadfast in their faith. And so now he gives them how to do that, how to, how to go about doing that very thing. In verse six, look at your Bibles with me. Follow along. It says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught and abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And so we see that he, he, he starts out and he talks about this receiving and, and walking. And the reality is that until you have received Jesus, you cannot walk in Jesus. And I know that sounds simple, but before you have received him, you cannot, you cannot walk in him, that you won't be steadfast, obviously, but John chapter one says this, and it talks about receiving him. It says that Jesus, he came to his own and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. That receiving him, I mean, think, think of the different pictures, whether uh, it's receiving a gift 
at Christmas time or for your birthday or a football player, right? There's one of the positions is called a receiver. So what do they do? They're the ones that receive, right? They catch the ball. And, for G- and to receive Jesus, that's exactly what it is in the sense of that you just receive it, that it's not something you earn. It's not something you have to pay for, that you receive it. But it, there has to be a point, though, that you actually receive him. There actually has to be a point. And what, how do you receive him, though? As what? Well, as your Lord. It says, it says there in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, receive Christ Jesus the Lord that you would receive him as Lord. But what does that mean? So often we, we hear God as our Savior and our Lord, right? And we kind of get the Savior part, that, oh yeah, he saves us from our sins, we don't have to go to hell, I get that. But what does it mean to receive Jesus as your Lord? That's something entirely different and is awesome. But it's, when it says receiving him as your Lord, you could just put in there as master or commander, as someone who what he says goes, that you would as you receive him as your Lord, it's that you are submitting your life to him in a way that what he says goes, no matter what. And sometimes we're able to miss that, but it's important that if you've received him, if there's been that point in your life where you made him your Lord and he saved you, then it's there in that moment that Paul would say, so walk in him. And some of you, you have received Jesus, that there's been, maybe it was back in children's ministry at, at some point in time, maybe it was last year in, here in junior high for some of you eighth graders, that there's, maybe for some of you, there's been that point where you've received him. And then Paul would say to you today, and I would say to you, walk in him, walk in his ways, and we'll look at exactly what that, what that means right now. And if you haven't received him, what are you waiting for? It's time. That you guys are now getting to an age where you are accountable for yourself, that you're accountable for your own salvation, and it can't be your parents' thing anymore, that it has to be your own, that will you follow Jesus, that your mom and your dad, they're going to stand before God on their own, and, and you're going to stand before God on your own, and have you received him, and if you have, which I hope most of you have, then walk in him. Now, have you ever heard that someone asked you, uh, maybe we definitely said around church, like, oh, have you, how's your walk going? Have you ever heard that? How's your walk going? It's a, it's a common thing people ask, but what do they mean by that? They, they mean, how's your relationship with Jesus? That what, what is it like? Is it good? Is it bad? Are you talking with him? Are you praying with him? Are you reading your Bible? And I just want to go back to the, to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it talks about how the Lord walked with Adam and Eve. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, this was during a time in the book of Genesis where they were definitely in trouble and God was uh, going about to talk to them about what they just did and the sin that they committed against him. But this was something that we can see was normal, that Adam and Eve, they walked with God. What does that mean? That they were able to talk with him face-to-face in a way that we uh, aren't able to. We don't know exactly how that looked in the garden, but it was different than now, for sure. Uh, Genesis 5.22 says, uh, this guy named Enoch, he walked with God. In Genesis 6-9, the guy named that you know, Noah, he walked with God. And in Genesis chapter 17, God says to Abraham, I am almighty God, and he says, you walk before me. So what's this whole walking thing? Simply, it just speaks of this relationship. Back then in the Old Testament, they had these different men that we know and we can see on the board, they had a relationship with God. Now, for you and I, we're not just to walk with God. We are to walk in him. We are to walk in Christ. And I'm like, that is weird. It does sound a little weird. 
but it speaks of an, a more of an intimate relationship with him. You see, people that we know and we have relationships, we're able to walk alongside each other, right? If we go, hey, let's go to in and out let's walk there. So we're able to walk together and might be talking and, and whatever it might be. But to be able to walk in Christ is something entirely different. It's something entirely more personal and close that we are to live with him and, and do what he says and, and we are to walk as he walked. Just you look at the gospels and how did Jesus live his life? When it says to walk in him, it's to, it's to walk like Jesus. It's to have this relationship with him. And so he goes on and he, and he talks about how we're to be rooted and built up in him. Look at verse seven. He says, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. And for you guys, I, I, I hope that this will be the goal, that you would grow with him, that you'd be rooted. It, rooted, it talks about uh, rooted, roots. You guys know what roots are, right? Have you guys ever seen like a really old tree and the, you, you're able to see actually some of the old roots? Got some pictures for you guys. Um, but you look at some of these trees and you see their roots, right? And their roots are what enables them to be able to be a tree, that they go down deep into the ground and they're able to receive the different nutrients and the different things that they need. And, and they're rooted, that they're immovable sometimes, that they're steadfast and they're, they're in it. And in the same way that you and I, that we're to be rooted in Christ, that where we get our strength from, how we're able to live, it should be, our roots in a sense should be so deep in him that we are to abide in him like the Bible says. So our roots are to be down deep and, and our strength and where our strength comes from is supposed to be in him, but we're also supposed to be built up. This is speaking of like, a con like construction. Have you guys ever seen construction before on a building? You know, building wasn't there and all of a sudden the building's there, right? That didn't happen overnight, but there was construction that was happening. They were building from the ground up. And for you and I, that were to be built up in Christ, that he's to be the foundation, but we're to be, there should be some sort of growth. That for you guys in your personal relationship with Jesus, that as you walk in him, there should be growth. That it's a normal and a natural thing uh, in our relationship with Christ. And my hope for you guys this next year or two years or however many is that you, you're, you would be planted here. That your roots would go down deep into his word and you would be able to grow and you'd be able to produce fruit. But then he says established in the faith. Look at verse 7. He says and established in the faith. This means settled securely, or it's that, that same idea of the steadfastness. You guys ever seen the Vans, like, logo? You guys know what Vans are, right? It says, it typically says, we'll say established in 1966. What does that mean? It talks about 1966, right? They, okay, that's when they were established, yeah. Totally. It was, it was established at that point, meaning it was stable. It wasn't an idea anymore. It wasn't a theory. That it, the vans, when they were established, it was, okay, this is a real-life business. And so now they can look back at that point and, and point to, oh, yeah, that's when we got started. And for me, I can look back when I got started with the Lord and when I was, got established. And some people might have a specific date. Some people might have a year. For me, I, I know my year. Some people don't. They just know that they, they've been walking with the Lord and they've really given their life to him. They, they can remember, maybe they can point back to uh, 
you know, third grade. And, oh, yeah, third grade, that's when I got serious about the Lord, and, I, and I've been, you know, I've received him as my Savior. For me, it was back in 2011. So I can say establish, you know, since 2011. For you guys, you have, you might have your dates or the different ways how you know. And for some of you, maybe you haven't been established yet. That it hasn't been something that's actually gotten started. Well, you don't have to wait. That you can, that you can receive him today. That you, this, this whole idea of being established can start today. But he said, and this is in faith though. He says established in faith. That though we were we were born, the Bible talks about that there has to be a point where we're born again, that there is a new, uh, new thing that takes place. It's something that's new and awesome. But verse 8, he talks about uh, to beware, that we're to be rooted and built up in him, and we're to have the goal of growth, that we're to have the goal of growth, that we would want to grow as Christians in our character, in our relationship with him. You guys are getting it, I hope. But then he says, beware again, just like how he's talking about people that deceive. He says, beware lest you're cheated. The word cheat isn't just like if someone cheats on Monopoly or, you know, someone cheats playing pool. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a very serious thing, actually, that it talks about to be taken captive. That as, as maybe, you know, you can think about pirates and how, how pirates would, would go and they would attack another ship and they would take people captive and they would take, you know, their, their booty and what, whatever. And they would take it and they would go and, uh, you know, their treasure and and they would take it captive unto themselves. That Satan would love to take you guys captive. That he'd love to trick you and to cheat you of what God has for you. But beware of it, lest, lest through philosophy, and, and, and it'll be always according to the world. That it won't be a spiritual thing. That 2 Corinthians 4, 18, this is, how, this is how the world sees, and this is how we are to see. It says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. Can you see God? No. But is he, is he living and real? Oh, yeah. For the things which are seen are temporary. The, anything you see, the, those things are temporary, but the things which are not seen, they're eternal, that they are in a different, whole different category than what we can see. And so some people, they, don't, they can't see or understand the spiritual, and so they don't get it, and it doesn't make any sense to them. And Satan would love to use these different things to, to cheat you of what, what he has. But, but if you're established, if your roots are deep enough, then no matter what comes, whether life hits and, and life gets crazy and, and, you know, deaths happen and all kinds of things, or whether someone would try to convince you of a different way, that you would be steadfast and immovable. But that we're going to end with, with verses nine and, two, uh, 9 and 10. Look with me. It says, for in him, God, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. That all you need is Jesus. I know that sounds simple. That might sound cliche, meaning it's, it's routine. Oh, yeah, everyone, all you need is Jesus. No, all you need is Jesus. That Jesus perfectly represents all of who God is. That when we see Jesus and we, and we talk about him and we talk about what he's like, that is what God is like. And God desires this relationship with you. But we get a little insight into, into Jesus, and, and that's in verse nine. He says that in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of, God, of the Godhead bodily. What is the Godhead? It's just, it's a fancy word of, of talking about the Trinity, 
the Holy Spirit and, and God the Father and Jesus. And it's a big concept, but the whole point of this verse is to ensure you that in Jesus, that it's God, that God is Jesus and Jesus is God, that Jesus is not a second-class version of God. It's not a mere, it's not like a hologram of God. And, and when Jesus came, it was, oh, this is sort of like God and, and he has a few attributes, and he was, but he was created. no. Jesus has never been created, and, and he perfectly expresses all of who God is. And so when we see Jesus, we can trust that that is who and what God is like. And, but the, the punchline here is verse 10, that you are complete in him. The word complete here means a generously su- supplied or fulfilled. That this word completion speaks of no lack, that all you need is in him. That Jesus came he was here on this earth. We don't see him anymore, yet we're able to have this amazing relationship with him, but all you need is in him. That as, we, as you walk in him, then you are complete in him. Uh, there's a cheesy movie. Uh, it's an older one, and, and now it's qu- the, the quote is quoted all throughout, you know, different chick flicks and new romance movies, but, you know, the guy says to the girl, and he says, you complete me. You know, and, and then, you know, they're all googly eyes, and then they kiss, and it's disgusting, and so you turn it off the show, right? But you guys get the, the concept that he's saying, oh, I don't need anything else but you. But honestly, that's not true, that though uh, a wife or a husband can be so influential in someone's life and can be amazing, and though all kinds of things in life can be awesome and they can be good, that those are just things that Jesus supplies. But Jesus himself is our portion, the Bible says, that he is our goal. He's everything we ever need, that in him is complete contentment and satisfaction. And only if we walk in him will we be able to experience that kind of satisfaction. But as I was saying before, the world will try to cheat you. They will. There will be advertisements. There will be all kinds of things that say, this is better. No, it might not say that outright. It's not going to say, this is better than God. That Satan will try to use the temptations and the different things of the world to draw you away. That maybe it even looks good. But Jesus is all you need. And bringing back to the very beginning of what we talked about, the question I asked you, think about, though it's your first day or your first day as an eighth grader, think about the last. That some unfortunately, maybe won't be walking with him. But I hope for you guys that, that you would be rooted and grounded and this would be a place that you would be able to grow, but that you would know more than anything that he is all you need. That there will be things and there will be desires that you have for other things. And though they're good, or if they're bad, that at the end of the day, God's the only one that can satisfy you. That the things of this world, there's all kinds of awesome things. There's all kinds of bad things. And the temptation will be that they will satisfy, but they will not. That you are complete in him. That God created you, and so he knows exactly what you need, and he's able to supply that. And so we're going to worship here in a second. I just want to seriously encourage you guys um, that you would take advantage of this time. That when you guys come here, church after church, service after service, that you wouldn't let it go, that you wouldn't just come in and let words fall into one ear and out the other, but that you would be
be invested here and you would abide in him and you would grow, you'd be rooted and, and grounded in him. And so we're just gonna pray uh, and then we're gonna worship. And so God, we just come before you and we thank you for this time that we can have in your word. We thank you that, that we're even able to come to you. That though you are God of the universe who created everything, you desire us. That you want us to worship you, that you want us to know more about you that though it's this, the mystery of God, that you've revealed it to us. Simple people, people that sin, people that mess up. Lord, but we know that in you, we don't lack, that there's nothing we need, that when we come, when we get to heaven, it's not gonna be based upon us, it'll be based upon your work and what you've done. But we just ask that you would speak and minister to our hearts and remind us of, of your greatness and of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.